the, the, the sort of progressive folks recognize that when person A leaves a company and goes and, and joins a related company, you know, it sets up opportunities later for joint ventures, cooperation agreements, all these other sorts of things because there's relationships cross-pollinated. You bring sort of this abundance mentality and, and the, but you know, now we're deep into the sort of cultural realm, Andy, and it, <laughs> we're here talking about, let's get the structural stuff right and then people are gonna start to behave better. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Eric Host-Steen. Eric is the founder and CEO of SMP Alignment, which is a revenue consulting firm. And in our conversation today, we talk about the importance of internal alignment within your organization, being internally aligned and helping you hit your revenue targets, and how the lack of alignment between sales, marketing, and your customers leads to missed targets, certainly higher churn, and lower retention of key employees. We dig into what Eric calls the round canoe syndrome, which I really like, which is a metaphor for what happens in a misaligned organization. And Eric shares the frequent causes of misalignment, which are primarily related to being insufficiently clear within your organization about who the customer is, why they should buy, and how they want to be treated. So we get into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Eric, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to it. And also, I remind you to check out my latest book, Sell Without Selling Out. It's a modern human-centric framework for increasing your win rates and shortening decision cycles without using the salesy behaviors that your buyers really dislike. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and in stores. Okay, let's jump into it with Eric. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, we were just talking before we start recording. We've been you know, LinkedIn acquaintances for quite a while. But we finally get a chance to talk to each other. Yep. Long-time listener, big fan of your content. Glad to be oh, here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, glad you reached out about coming on the show. And uh, yeah, I like some of the stuff you write as well. I'm interested to dig into it. Uh, so for people who aren't familiar with you, tell us about you and, and what you do. Sure. My name is Eric Hostein, and I'm uh, based north of Denver, Colorado. And for the past six years, I've been running a consulting practice that I call SMP Alignment. Uh, the S is for sales, the M is for marketing, and the P is for product. Right. Uh, and the idea, pardon? No, I was just acknowledging it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the idea is that uh, the reason, core reason why commercial teams aren't hitting their targets on a regular basis while si uh, simultaneously smiling and not wanting to choke their neighbor is because they lack alignment. <laughs> uh, and I presume you're not talking about structural alignment uh, from a physical standpoint, but organizational alignment. Yes, I, yeah. I put things in buckets. The structural alignment is, is different than the sort of cultural alignment. Thinking that if you get the sculpture, I'm sorry, the uh, the structural stuff right, there's less reasons for people to tap into their lizard brain passive aggressive behavior that poisons so many teams. Well, let's let's dig into that. So, how'd you come up with this idea that alignment was the? And we're gonna focus yeah, mostly on revenue, but we can talk a touch of other issues that it causes. But the yeah. lack of alignment uh, is the root cause for. Yeah. Teams, you know, missing it's sales targets, focus. for instance. Yeah, it, 
it came into focus over time. Uh, my first ever role, I carried a, a bag. I was a salesperson trained under the Sandler selling methodology. And uh, when we had good product market fit, it was pretty easy. And when we didn't have product market fit, it was a big headache trying to get the rest of the organization to, to change the things that were needed to establish that fit. Uh, I moved on and did a, a pure marketing role and um, was really frustrated with the way the sales team translated our messaging into our customers' worlds. <laughs> sure, um, on the other foot, yeah. Yeah, and then here comes the other piece. Uh, I spent nine years in a, in a product role where uh, thankfully I had control over the voice of customer, uh, upstream marketing, translating that into uh, requirements for an engineering and design team, and then um, the messaging that went back out. And here's the secret. You talk to customers, find out what they need. You have someone build it, and then you tell them you have it. It works pretty well. <laughs> it works. Well, yeah. I mean, here's, here's the thing, though, and I touched on this a lot in the show recently. It's, it's just that this idea of talking to customers really understand in multiple dimensions, understanding what they need in multiple dimensions, um, yeah, it doesn't happen nearly as often as it needs to. Definitely. Definitely right. And we're all sort of I mean, I, talking to customers with our own perspective uh, and our own goals right. that are not something you say, not the customer's goals in mind. Yeah. Well, it, it starts as something, and I'm sure this will get into how this all sort of aligns with alignment, so to speak, but is that yeah, even starting with hiring, right, is, is you talk to hiring managers and they're trying to fill a slot and they've got a job description and job responsibilities uh, description and sort of, sort of an ideal candidate profile they've created. And I ask hiring managers, well, have you ever asked your, your buyers, your customers, what they need from your salespeople in order to help them do what they need to get done? And the answer is like, never. That's right. We didn't think of that. We didn't think about that. Here's the people that are, you know, basically, as, you know, if you subscribe to sort of the jobs to be done theory, yeah, our customers hiring us to help them make a decision and make a change. That's right. And yeah, we never ask them what they need from us. That's right. I'm a big fan of jobs to be done theory, and it's a big part of what I bring to my clients. It clarifies so much. Well, I think it does. I mean, I, and I, so few people talk about it, sort of from the the sale, the selling perspective or the buying perspective, but. Yeah, I, I've believed for a long time that basically, yeah, your, your buyers are trying to accomplish, as I write about my new book, is, you know, your buyers are trying to quickly gather and make sense of the information they need to make a good decision with the least investment possible of their time, attention, and resources. That's what they're trying to do, to, you know, when they evaluate new products, make changes, and... I believe, yeah, they basically they hire the salespeople to help them do that. Definitely, right? I, I, uh, as, as much experience as I've had in sales, I have yet to make anyone buy anything from me. All I can do is help them along the journey. Right. And so if that's the case, if they're basically hiring us to help them make a decision, 
uh, yeah, don't you understand what the attributes are we need in people to help them do that? That's right. And then we watch Tommy Boy or Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross and say, oh, that must be what we need. Well, <laughs> I like Tommy Boy, um, but uh, yeah, I'm not hiring, not hiring somebody to be Chris Farley or David Spade. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, in that, in that, I would think, even though it was uh, yeah, not one thing you sort of list and you write about alignment, to me that seems like that's a part of alignment, is that we have to be aligned with what the buyers need from us. Definitely, definitely. You know, it's like um, I, I, I find I try to take things in, in three steps. One is trying to define these outcomes first and then defining the people and processes that are needed to do that. And then thirdly, mm -hmm. what's the tech that's going to use to support all that? Uh, but this idea of people, right, until we figured out what it is that we're trying to do and what, you know, we don't know what skills we need on the team, right? Do we need the right. sort of hunter or the traditional um, farmer, you know, those labels, not always helpful, but, you know, still thinking through that and how that maps sure. to the buyer's journey is powerful. Yeah. I mean, as a buyer ever said to a sales organization, yeah, the one that as a customer ever said to a, a vendor, yeah, we, we really need your salespeople to be hunters. Yeah. Yeah. A little while ago, you were no, sharing this right? sort that, of idea of yeah. typical hunting is way more inbound focused. It is, yes. Right? So you, you stand up in the deer stand and press, put out bait right. and wait for unsuspecting prey to come by. Right. And close them. Yeah. And we, then we close them, right. Well, literally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, and it's not just deer hunting. I mean, obviously, yeah. Go to a, if you have a duck hunt, yeah, you sit in a duck blind mm -hmm. and, and, uh, yeah, lure ducks to the area. Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Our hunting is is very inbound <laughs> these days. <laughs> so it's right. I know some people. Yeah, you know, go out and stalk with bow and arrow and so on. That's that's different. But by and large, <laughs> most hunting, uh, recreational hunting, done inbound. So, uh, one, like one of the things you'd written about, and it sort of inform what we'll talk about here too is you write about uh the round canoe syndrome and i i thought that was really interesting so tell us about the round canoe syndrome yeah thank you so um round canoes you might think what what the heck are these they they do exist uh, the technical name for them is coracle um and if wait, you wait, go to wait, nebraska wait, wait. and you said yeah yeah just so can you spell that c-o-r-a-c-l-e coracle and they're sort of okay. old, yeah. you know, wicker base, like take a round circle of bone or whatever when the original folks that design this and then wrap it with, you know, hide or whatever. And it's a round sort of fishing vessel that's usually designed for one person. But um, uh, if you go to Nebraska, they have a Nebraska Tourism Board has this stuff they call tanking, where you can take a, a big galvanized steel stock tank and put it in a river with a bunch of your friends and maybe a cooler of, of beer and float down the river. Not maybe, and, and, but yes, I'm you know, sure that's a required part of it. It's real. It's real. It's a real yeah. thing. Uh, Nebraska tanking. <clears throat> and that's maybe a fun way to, to be in a round canoe, but it's really a metaphor for what happens in an organization that lacks structural alignment. 
And I like to think of it this way. If we take a sales leader, a marketing leader, and a product leader, put them in this round canoe, and then the CEO hands out paddles and says, okay, team, let's start rowing. We get a circumstance where the boat doesn't really go in a straight direction, and oftentimes people are rowing against one another, um, maybe right. picking the paddle up out of frustration and, and smacking the person next to them like, hey, we're going this way. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, just paddling in circles, it sounds like. They end up with three people doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are the causes then of, of round canoe syndrome? Yeah. So uh, like I was mentioning before, I take the there's cultural components to this and then there's um, structural components to this. And culture, let's just define that broadly as how people sure. interact with one another on a human to human level um, right. through my own experience. Sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, I yeah. think we have a little, so bit, of, we have a little bit of a delay here. I'm sorry. Uh, OK, hope we have great producers on the other side. Um, and so the idea is, is that from my own experience, trying to get people to change fundamentally is uh, a brutally horrible thing to do successfully. So, but if there's good structural alignment around a few key things, one is the uh, answers to three key questions in the commercial ecosystem. Who are your customers? Why are they gonna give you their money? And how do they wanna be treated while going through this journey from awareness all the way through to retention? Lots of things start to fall into place. Um, messaging, go-to-market strategy, um, how you structure the sales team, what level of marketing effort you put into it, these sorts of things that drive, that build up the commercial ecosystem. And the other piece is just this sort of idea that if you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. And a lot of leaders of organizations have these sort of big lofty visions that kind of make sense, but the way it gets translated to what happens on the field, you know, like it's a mess. Um, here's an example, and to bring mm -hmm. in some politics just to get things excited, exciting. <laughs> you think about uh, make America great again and build mm -hmm. back better. From an English language standpoint and a vision standpoint, you say, those are pretty similar, but we know, right, they're pretty darn decisive, uh, divisive, and there's very <laughs> clear differences about the sort of tactical things underneath that that support these visions that sound great, but clearly are not the same. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's go back to the cultural thing, because you, you, you know, write that you need to stop trying to fix culture by fixing people. So what do you mean by fixing people? I mean, it's, it's people aren't able to change? People are able to change. Um, but there are loads and loads of psychologists and therapists out there trying to get folks to change, even when they've identified the fact that, hey, I need to change, and it's still not happening. So, um, you know, just think about people in your world. I'd really wish so-and-so would do this, or I really wish so-and-so would act more like that. Um, these sorts of things um, are cultural in nature. Um, but I believe that people are behaving the way they are typically because of incentives um, that drive them that way. And sometimes, uh, you know, traditional sort of problematic area in a, in a commercial team is that you'll get a sales team that's measured on revenue and a marketing mm -hmm. team that's measured on, uh, leads. And there are, these are, that's an example of structural friction that creates sales folks that are out folk 
focusing on closing deals. doesn't matter what the deal looks like. And marketing people that are, hey, we got a live one here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and if you were to just easily measure a marketing leader based on revenue, the immediate question is, hmm, I know I don't sell anything, so I better go talk to the sales team and figure out what they need to be helpful, uh, to, to be successful. And that's a, that's a big change in cultural behavior driven strictly by structural incentive. Okay. So, yeah, just thinking through that. So what you're saying is you can, you can change culture, but you initiate it through structure first. That seems easier to me. Okay. Well, I mean, let's, let's look at that from a sales perspective because I'm just, I'm just trying to think through is, yeah, okay. It's, there's no shortage of structure in most sales organizations, um, or let's say many sales organizations. Yet we still have, you know, as we see, we still have, you know, relatively small percentage of reps hitting quota or, you know, we see win rates are dropping or whatever. And we have these, you know, enduring stereotypes of, of how buyers, not main nine stereotypes, the actuality of how buyers experience bad sales behavior. Yet the structural incentives exist for them, for sellers to be better and to change, but oftentimes don't. So appreciate um, that's why I'm just yeah. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. How, how we so think through that. This, sure. So the structural components uh, need to be in support of proper behavior or what we're trying to accomplish. So mm -hmm. one of the other key frameworks that I uh, try to leverage with my clients in the world is what I call an outcome hierarchy. Right. And at the top of this is, is a purpose or a why. And many times these aren't even articulated at all. Um, and then below that, we get a couple other things that, uh, that fall into place and that gets around, ultimately gets down to a tactical action plan, which is the structural piece of who's going to do what by when and with what resources. And then the last rung of this hierarchy are the metrics and measurements or the KPIs, OKRs, whatever you want to talk about it, that are usually tied to someone's comp or should be tied to someone's comp. And when these yeah. measurements and metrics aren't connected up this hierarchical chain, we have structure that gets people to behave in ways that are inconsistent with the purpose or the values or the vision of the company or the journey that we're trying to uh, create, experience that we're trying to create for a customer. Absolutely. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that sums it up, right? So in mean, your hierarchy, you have five things that are at the top. You said your purpose, your why, followed by yep. vision, mission, vision strategic mission. approach. Right. Yep. And then, and then your strategic approach. And then metrics. And metrics, right. Yeah, so what you're saying, and yep. I, I think this is absolutely right, is that the incentives built into the the bottom of the hierarchy, the sort of the, the least important part in some respects, aren't in alignment with the purpose at the top of the hierarchy. Yes, sir. 
right? And we can do that at an enterprise level, we can do that at a division level, at a team level, and then here's the cool thing, if we all do it as an individual, then we can start opting in and out and saying, hey, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish with my own life aligns with what it is that we're trying to do at the organization. And then, you know, that that's what I'm aiming for, this sort of perfect idealistic world. And I need your help, Andy, to help us get there. <laughs> well, but I think what's interesting about your hierarchy is that, and I think it does, you know, people can look at it and it explains many things, which is, sure, yeah, at the top, you could have leadership saying, we are a buyer-centric organization, right? We are here to help our buyers. And then you get down to the bottom of the metrics and the behavior that incents, and it's operating at cross-purposes to that almost all the time. That's right. Yes. At the end of the quarter, we're not so buyer-centric anymore. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, this is, yeah, I write about this in the book. I don't use these terms, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, we, we operate with very little integrity um, at the end of quarters compared to what we tell the buyers why we're there to help them. Or, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So, so the outcome hierarchy, it's a great way, interesting way to put it. I hadn't really thought about that, that perspective. I like that. So that's, that's where you sort of base your structure initially on that, which then makes the culture sort of become a reality. Yeah. Now, if we have a team that's yeah. filled with narcissists and egocentric folks, you know, we're going to, when we get this, these outcome hierarchies documented, it's going to most intelligent people that are showing up as, a, as healthy adults are going to say, well, wait a minute, these two things don't seem to match to me. How do we right. resolve this conflict? Okay. And? So, but if, you know, and this is where sort of the hiring process to figuring out, well, we need to have people that um, are, can bring some humility to the table, that can have some courage to speak up and that are comfortable with conflict and team players and all this other stuff. This is, this is where uh, the cultural stuff happens. But I find in my circles, you know, there's a lot of sort of culture coaches out there that help people sort of get in touch with their feelings and act like adults. Um, but then when they're done, we're still like, well, we don't know strategically what to do and how to run this business. Mm -hmm. So it, it needs both. We need both pieces to, to work. And what I'm, my thesis, my hypothesis, whatever, is that the structural stuff tends to, to tap into people's intellect and left brain a little bit easier than, uh, you know, let's all just be nice to one another, which is, of course, awesome. But until we have some place to go and something to do, ultimately, our businesses are measured at the end of a period based on real metrics on returns. Mm -hmm. And that's what is expected of us um, from our stakeholders, from our managers, from our CEOs, from our investors, you name it. Right. Yeah, interesting. That's, yeah, I'm definitely be thinking about this more. This is an interesting, interesting perspective to have on it. Um, because I, I, I sort of see there's this missing component. And as I put it into your framework, or I try to put it into your framework, I mean, it, on one hand, it seems cultural, but on the other hand, to me, it, it really seems structural, which is that, okay, with something's, you know, something's, uh, in my mind, is missing in the way that we 
we help people understand what their job is in sales. And, and what I see as missing is just, sir, I, I call it this level of human behaviors, <laughs> not sales yep. skills, but human, human skills. Yep. That, uh, you know, leave a hole in most people in terms of helping them sort of connect the dots, I think. And, and connect with buyers. And it's just, I'm just, yeah, I'm sort of thinking through your, your structure versus culture is, is, to me, it almost seems more structural necessarily than cultural. Though I think it has aspects of both. Yeah, for sure. They're inseparable. I mean, I, I do believe they're connected. And the, the other thing that I find in a lot of these conversations is, and here's a, a, a tweak on a Socrates quote, and that is that the beginning of alignment is the definition of terms. And being clear on what we really mean when we see structural or what we really mean when we say cultural, these are important things to sort of get clear on because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was in a conversation this morning and some, this person kept calling about digital marketing. I'm like, what do you mean? Right. Right. And cause the American marketing association, I don't know if you know this, that they have a definition of marketing that they review every three years no, by a I panel didn't. of, <laughs> by a panel of academics. Experts. So <laughs> Like this is a term that we throw around all the time and there's digital marketing, inbound, outbound, you know, blah, 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 blah. And right. until we're clear, what do you really mean? We get confusion. So this conversation you and I are having around structural versus cultural, you know, I don't, the structural doesn't imply that you can force people to behave a particular way, but we can be clear on where it is that we're going and layer in on this variable comp piece, parts of these values and behavioral things that might have a significant impact on not necessarily whether you hit your quota, but how you'd go about doing so. Which would be a, a huge sea change. Cause I, and I advocate for that, that, that compensation has to be based on things other than just, you know, revenue because right. there are certain things you want people to do. You want people to improve, right? You want people right. to invest in their own improvement. Um, right. Yeah, sometimes, you know, companies, you know, companies now, more and more companies, uh, it's, it's still a very small number, but you see this, this, I think hopefully a trend of companies providing stipends, right? The personal development stipends for, for people within organizations. Hey, it should be part of, I believe, part of the compensation that they actually spend it and spend it to get better. And there'd be a way to, to measure that. And these are structural components to the package that attracts an employee that signals this is, we mean it, right? There's, right. there's stuff behind it besides, besides talking heads. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I'm just, I agree. No, this is, this is a very interesting. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. When you make it part of incentive, uh, yeah, then it does become structural. Yeah, I mean, I look at it uh, even as like this argument about, uh, not argument, but this, yeah, we see these studies that so few sellers, uh, yeah, account execs are hitting quota, for instance. Yeah, 50% or less these days. And there's lots of variables involved with, with this. But, but for me, is, is, yeah, if you wanted to change that, is that you tell, 
you know, frontline manager or layers of management, look, part of your compensation will be based on people hitting quota. And what I would do is I, I thought about this is you give them a, you know, they get a flat fee for everyone that makes quota. So they have an incentive to, if quotas are being set irrationally, management has an incentive to make sure they're set more rationally. But then also managers have a direct incentive to ensure that as many of their people are appropriately developed and managed and coached as possible instead of as many managers do is, is, you know, default to devoting their time to the people they think are their top performers. Yes. I've heard, I don't know how true this is, but I, I can see how it's true. Like, especially in big enterprises where if you add up the quotas of all the frontline sellers, then they mm -hmm. um, are some multiple higher than the whatever the senior leadership told Wall Street or their investors they were going to do because everyone's sandbagging all the way down. And then at the bottom level, like <laughs> this number's ridiculous. So, you know, this is a structural problem there that leads to behavior that, right. that is not what we want from a frontline seller. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, the structural defect there, you know, starting structural, is that what we're doing is when we do that, right, when, just as you said, because companies do that, yeah, the, if you added up, you know, the quota of ever, all the sellers, yeah, it'd be some number or some percentage in excess of the committed number that CEO had given is, yeah, you're dooming people to failure. That otherwise, I mean, this is sort of this basic human psychology is you know, how do you help people build confidence as you let them experience success and help them experience more success. And yeah, when we give quotas that arbitrarily and at random, where it's sort of guaranteed that most people can't meet it. You're saying, look to a bunch of your sellers. Yeah, I'm sorry. And rather than getting them the opportunity to experience success and then again, build on that success and build their confidence. Yeah. Just doesn't happen. So now, right, this is tapping into the real human side of things culturally, right? What are we attracting people that, are, I don't know, like an ultra marathoner that just loves these big, crazy goals that are just painful to get there or sort of more sort of normal person that's like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by something that's a challenge, but if it's too far out of reach, you know what, I'm going to just come in and paddle my canoe and make it look like I'm working. <laughs> well, I think, I think people end up sort of Sort of receiving that message, unfortunately, is Definitely. and yeah, and it, I think that that we're so stuck in a certain way of doing things in sales and or not doing certain things is yeah. I mean, this has been around forever, right? As you know, as a consultant, I walk into an organization. Uh, yeah, a lot of times work with small, mid-sized organizations, and. Yeah. I mean, all the good customers are in the hands of a few of the sellers. And it's like, well, how are these other people ever going to hit their numbers if they, <laughs> if you, every time you get what you think is a good lead, you give it to 
your best person or who you think is you know, sure. best going to work the opportunity. Sure. And they said, well, because, yeah, we want to hire possibly win the deal. It's like, yeah, but then these people never get the experience of going out and trying to win those deals and you trying to coach them to get better. Right. We have some certain status quo, some situation that we see and we wonder why it is the, the way it is. A good place to look is the incentive structures behind that to mm -hmm. that are that are creating the outcomes and behaviors that we're seeing. Yeah. Um, and that's a great example. Like, you know, why we give all these great customers to a few salespeople. Let's let's the rest of us to be like, whatever. And maybe that's OK. But, you know, we got to do it with eyes wide open, recognizing the kind of business that we're trying to build and the team we're trying to build. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had one client that, as I walked in, was doing that. And I said, okay, well, then, you know, you've got a team of seven, five of these people can go. Right. Right. I mean, why are you paying these people? I love that. If, yeah. I mean, they're not enjoying it. They're not experiencing. Yep. They were good people. Yeah, we did change that. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, yeah put things in place to structurally incentive wise is that, yeah, you couldn't have, you know, people sitting on account was the other thing is, you know, those who had, they had too many accounts, even the people, the quote unquote good people, they couldn't even work them. Right. Um, weren't able to harvest all the upsell and, and expansion that they needed in the, within those accounts. So unfortunately, like I said, that still, still goes on a little bit. I like that. Bit. I like that. That structure. I'm going to think more about that structural drive, structure driving culture. Um, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, it, it flips it on the head, right? I mean, you yeah. know, the popular stuff in in literature out there is culture, 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 culture. Well, you know, why are people behaving the way that they are already? We kind of, by the fact that we're focusing on culture, we're recognizing that the behaviors aren't what we want them to be, which is good. But then, you know, let's really figure out why people are behaving that way. And an easy way, at least in my view, is that if we get the structural stuff right, barring that we're hiring, you know, and when the structural stuff is right, it's a lot easier to identify when there's a pe people problem on the team. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the people that just are not ones you want to work with, it's a lot easier to find out who those are and... and wish them well on their next journey. Um, you know, Reed Hoffman talks about this concept of tours of duty, right? Recognizing yeah, people no, I, come to companies. I buy that. Good I buy stuff. into that. Oh, it's, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, super, it's great, right? And it, but, but it requires some, some transparency and, and having this stuff out on the table for it to work. Recognizing that, hey, you know, you're on the part, you know, you see it in professional sports all the time. I mean, the real sports fans, you know, we want to see a rookie come all the way through to retirement, but, you know, hey, you've Other outgrown than the Steph spot Curry, here. And it's not happening. Yeah. So we see this in other parts of the world, and then, you know, somehow business is different. <laughs> well, right. And that's one of the big, the big fallacies, right? But I mean, yeah, I think this yeah. too, I like the tour of duty concept when I first read about it. Because first of all, it's, it more accurately describes what happens. But I think from an employer standpoint, but I think employees have to think about it that way as well. And so when you're planning your career, if you're in sales, and I, I think I had this, this outlook actually myself, not knowing the, the terms by and large when I was 
is, yeah, I, I knew what I was good at after a while, right? After I had a bit of experience, I knew what I was good at. And I knew the situations that I wanted to, uh, not in terms of industry and product, but in terms of, you know, the situation with the company itself where I could make the best contribution. And I knew it wasn't a career. I knew it was, I was going to be there for a certain period of time. It's very healthy, right? And then, you know, the, the, the sort of progressive folks recognize that when person A leaves a company and goes and, and joins a related company, you know, it sets up opportunities later for joint ventures, cooperation agreements, all these other sorts of things, because there's relationships cross-pollinated. Sure. And you bring sort of this abundance mentality. And, and the, But, you know, now we're deep into the sort of cultural realm, Andy, and... It, <laughs> We're here talking about let's get the structural stuff right, and then people are going to start to behave better. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. Well, I think getting that structure right and what, what the expectations are for people within that structure is there's still a lot that can be done. Yeah. It seems cultural, but Definitely. it's actually structural. You got me thinking about it, so I am going to go, go think about that. So, awesome. Eric, if people wanted to uh, connect with you and learn more about what you do, what's the best way to do that? Sure. Uh, I have the blessing or curse that I am the only Eric hosting on the planet, according to Google. So if you spell my name right, you will find me uh, and we will connect. Uh, website is smpalignment.com. And most of what I do is on, on LinkedIn from a social uh, sharing and liking and all that stuff point of view. Yep. All right. Good. Well, Eric, thank you very much. Thank you, Andy. Hope to be back. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Eric Host Steen, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could leave us, also leave us a rating or review, easy for me to say, and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And again, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>